Listener Production. All right, so in this episode, you're going to meet a young Aussie guy doing very interesting and important things in space. So his invention is so impressive that SpaceX, which is Elon Musk's space company, is one of his best clients. Essentially, he's putting CCTV cameras into space. And that's important because there's more and more competition, satellites, space junk, and even weapons going into space. But these cameras that he's created, they have to be a little bit more high-tech than, say, a security cam at a servo. They're capturing objects that are travelling at over 50,000 k's an hour. So we'll find out how he does it. His name is William Crow. He's the founder of a company called High Earth Orbit Robotics. They specialise in non-Earth imaging. That is our briefing. First, here are today's headlines. Hey, Tom. Hi, everyone. It is Monday, the 27th of November. Well, the third hostage prisoner exchange has taken place this morning with the Israeli military confirming 17 new hostages have been released. Reuters news agency has reported that Hamas had handed to the Red Cross 13 Israeli hostages, three Thai nationals and one Russian. Egypt said earlier it had received lists of 13 Israelis and 39 Palestinians scheduled for release. Joe Biden spoke this morning as a four-year-old girl, Abigail Eden. Now, she's a dual US-Israeli citizen and both of her parents were killed uh, and she was one of those released by Hamas. And we continue to press and expect for additional Americans will be released as well. And we will not stop working until every hostage is returned to their loved ones. Yeah, so this was the third consecutive day in which Hamas released Israeli hostages and the Israeli authorities released Palestinian prisoners into the West Bank. The fourth exchange is expected to take place today, Israel time, uh, and that'll be the last of the four-day ceasefire and the four releases. In total, it's expected that will bring the released people to 50 Israeli hostages and 150 Palestinian prisoners. It's good that it went ahead, Katrina. I mean, there were so many factors here that could have undone this agreement, but it seems to be working out. Uh, Of course, it also involves that uh, pause uh, in attacks on the Gaza Strip, which has been, you know, resulting in so many civilian casualties. So that's been good as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it nearly went all off the rails over the weekend, um, just before the second lot of hostage releases. Uh, both Egypt and Qatar had to intervene in high-level talks because Hamas was claiming that Israel hadn't come to the table on the number of aid trucks that had been sent in to Gaza that Israel hadn't come to their side of the arrangement. But, you know, it was almost at the 11th hour that they were able to smooth that out and the second lot of hostage releases went ahead and it has just been so heartwarming to see people running back into each other's arms you know parents reunited with kids who up until really recently they thought their kids had died kids who've had birthdays in captivity and it surprised me too that the cameras were let in to film all of this stuff but I guess you know that's that's part of the public relations campaign on on both sides isn't it yeah, I think there's a careful strategy about what what information, what images are getting out. And new political polling is bad news for Labor. So the latest news poll um, reveals that the coalition is now 50-50 with Labor in two-party preferred terms. So 
That is not good for Labor. That's the worst result since the election last year. So their primary vote has dropped down to 31. Uh, It was 32 at the election. Uh, The coalition's primary vote has lifted up to 38%. If we were to go to the polls uh, like an election and these polling results were replicated, uh, Labor would lose its majority. So, yeah, it's... um, The rubber's really starting to hit the road for Albanese. His approval rating is at 40, uh, still above Dutton's at 37, but it's down 12 points since July. So it's been a very rough few months for the Albanese government. Yeah, one of the interesting kind of if you're drilling down into the figures here is that where they've lost votes and they've lost them to the left, uh, Greens support has risen a point to 13%, which actually makes it higher than their results at the last federal election. And other minor parties, including the Teal Independents, had a lift as well. They've gone up to 12%. I guess though, Tom, we've had, we've had a couple of things happen since the last opinion poll. Some big things. The Reserve Bank lifting interest rates for the 13th time. Um, and there's certainly some a mood there that uh, we, we could even get another interest rate rise. Uh, and of course, there's been that high court decision to overturn indefinite immigration detention laws. And, you know, this all comes off the back of the um, lost yes referendum campaign as well, which really undermined Anthony Albanese's authority. So yeah, heading into that that part of the electoral cycle where the honeymoon is well and truly over and there's, I guess, no more opportunities to blame the previous government for how things are now. And as you say, the sort of economic situation with so many people doing it tough uh, with both inflation or the interest rates if they're mortgage holders, um, that's starting to make people a little bit unhappy. Yeah, another big political story around today is a comeback story for Dave Sharma, the former member for Wentworth in Sydney. Uh, Really interesting how that's shaping up, Tom. Yeah, so he has won a Senate spot, so he'll be coming back to Parliament in a different capacity. Um, Yeah, he was in that uh, wealthy electorate in Sydney's eastern suburbs, but he lost the seat at the last election to Atil. And yesterday there was a vote on replacing... um, Maurice Payne's Senate seat. Um, it was thought that um, Andrew Constance, a former New South Wales politician, would get it. He's been trying so hard to get into federal politics and failed again. But um, Sharma is seen as a safe pair of hands. He was also a former ambassador to Israel. Um, he's Jewish as well. So he will be a strong pro-Israel voice in the government when he comes back to the Senate. So yeah, that was a surprise to a lot of people and a win for the more moderate sort of wing of the Liberal Party. So, yeah, we'll see him back in the Senate. And a 30-hour kayak protest at the world's largest coal port has resulted in more than 80 arrests. Hundreds of climate protesters paddled kayaks out into Newcastle Port over the weekend, blocking coal ships from entering the channel. The arrests happened when protesters went beyond an agreed deadline. And they actually stopped over an estimated half a million tonnes of coal from leaving the port. These protesters are calling for the government to stop allowing new coal projects and tax fossil fuel export profits at 75%. Um, the protest is that good, Tom. Yeah, a kayak versus a coal ship. Um, pretty huge. Um, there was even a 97-year-old reverend um, amongst the protesters. He got arrested. Um, so there were pictures of that. Um, Greens leader Adam Bant um, was also among the paddlers. Um, yeah, this protest had been planned and negotiated for some time, um, but it got pretty ugly. 80 arrests is pretty huge. 
All right, that's it for our headlines. I'm about to talk to this amazing Australian space entrepreneur now working in coordination with Elon Musk's SpaceX. Dr. William Crow is a young Australian who never let go of his childhood dream. In 2016, barely 30 years old, he launched his company, High Earth Orbit Robotics, or HEO, which specialises in putting surveillance cameras into space. And now he's picked up SpaceX as a client. At this stage, it's an early space startup. They're running on a $15 million investment, but it's looking like his technology really is going to infinity and beyond. Will, thank you for joining us on The Briefing. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So before we get into describing your technology, can you tell me how your life brought you to this point where you've ended up pioneering this incredible space CCTV technology that's being looked at all around the world? It's uh, super simple, kind of embarrassing. Um, (laughs) When I was 12, I watched Star Wars and just was really fascinated with that. I think a lot of kids transition maybe from dinosaurs to space to whatever career that they have after that. And and I never had that transition. So I stayed with space all through my undergraduate degree, et cetera. I, I was really looking into what could make humans this spacefaring species. And I thought asteroid mining was it. And weirdly, that got me to where we are today. So we started out looking at asteroids and for asteroids, found out that the market wasn't ready yet um, and instead looking at other satellites and and there's this surveillance piece but there's also this helping satellite operators fix their satellites on orbit which is really hard that's kind of where we were pulled towards okay interesting so asteroids could be further down the track but yeah as you say at the moment it's a lot about satellites uh, also about space junk as well so tell us how the technology works in simple terms the overarching descriptor is non-Earth imaging. What is it and how does it work? Yeah, you bring up an interesting point, which is non-Earth imaging tells you what it isn't um, rather than what it is. But really Mm. what this is, is there's a whole bunch of cameras on satellites already. And um, these cameras are typically looking down at Earth, looking at things like crop health or doing surveillance or, or other things. But when you turn these satellites around, so you turn the cameras around, and you take photo at just the right time, you actually can capture another satellite in frame. So that's what we do. We do that intentionally. And we do that at a high scale. So that, that's a special source of what we do. We have a satellite flying around with a camera, passes another satellite, and we take a photo as we pass by. Okay. So, yeah, you described it in a simple way there that a lot of the cameras are facing Earth, but you're now facing the cameras at other satellites and debris that's flying around. It's nowhere near that simple, though, is it? Because the difference between what you'd be shooting down on Earth and the sorts of things that you're capturing is the speed. Yeah, well, everything's flying really fast in space. So to get the orbital velocity in, you're going at seven and a half kilometers per second, which is, I don't even know how to you know, put that in different hmm. terms. It's that fast. And when you're looking at another object, it might be coming in an opposite direction to you. So you're you're up to 15 kilometers per second Mm. relative speed. So it's really, really fast. Yeah. So um, I read in an article that just to give listeners an idea of that speed, that 15 kilometers a second translates to 54,000 kilometers an hour. Yeah, it's fast. 
Yeah. So how do you do it? Is it about the way you capture the image or is it also the technology you have to interpret what's in that image? Yeah, really, it's all of the above. So we, the way we solve these problems is we chip off a little bit in one direction, chip off a little bit in another, and soon enough, you start to develop this ability to do this regularly. So being really good at knowing where two satellites will be in several hours from now is a big part of what we do. As you said, getting better at taking photos. So if we, when we take a photo, we don't just take one, we'll take several hundred and we'll do it in such a pattern that we'll get the satellite that we're trying to capture in one frame, maybe not in most others. Yeah, there's a lot of special source after we get the image back to Earth as well, which is we do a lot of image processing. In Australia, actually, we've got a really great, strong robotics core. People who are typically doing agricultural robotics, looking at fruit, we use exactly the same processes for looking at other satellites. Um, And it turns out we've gotten very good in this country at looking at fruit. Um, So satellites is relatively easy compared to that. So I read that one of your images, one of your machines went up on a SpaceX rocket this year. Is that true? And did you get to deal directly with Elon Musk? (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, absolutely true. Um, So we actually, I don't think I've said this publicly much, at least up till now, but we do actually have a contract with SpaceX. So we work directly with them. So yes, our cameras do launch on satellites that launch on SpaceX. Weirdly, SpaceX is launching so much stuff right now. That's not irregular. That's actually, if you weren't doing that, it would be super weird and uncommon. Us being able to work with SpaceX and help them manage their satellite fleet, that's huge. It's not something that they do regularly with most companies. Um, And what we've been doing is helping them with the odd satellite that's not working super well. We're taking photos of it, trying to diagnose what the problem is from our image, um, because the satellite typically stops working and and can't tell the the ground operators what's wrong by itself. So having someone like us come in and, and be able to determine what the issue is, is really helpful. And have you dealt directly with Elon over this exciting new working relationship? No? No. Um, Our our company has uh, 30 people working right now, and and I think SpaceX is well over (laughs) 10,000. So the the scale is a bit different. So has anyone else come up with similar technology in any other parts of the world or space? Well, Tom, it turns out this has been done for 50 years um, by different intelligence agencies around the world. We didn't actually know that when we started. We were just two guys in Australia, we weren't in a garage, but we might as well have been Hmm. um, running this technology, operating satellites. And we just thought we were geniuses, honestly. What we found out (laughs) a couple of years after starting is that, in fact, the intelligence apparatus around the world is just really good at their job and and keeping that under wraps and, and keeping that a secret, that that capability was possible. When we turned up there, I think the game was up and they said, look, software has gotten to a point where this will proliferate and actually it makes sense for us to start doing this more and more because with with so many satellites launching as a society, we'd be not doing the best we can if if we didn't have this technology out there and and trying to solve this space debris problem as well as try and um, really enable more transparency by imaging different satellites that might have weapons or, or something similar. 
Yeah, and that brings me to the much bigger question here is what are the most concerning problems that you think your service will solve, prevent, or even just make us aware of? What's at stake here? Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing in my mind um, is that there's a lot of posturing by nations. So you might be able to guess who some of those nations might be, but there's a lot of posturing to really make the West say, so countries like Australia, US, UK, New Zealand, and, and so forth, make us second guess ourselves. So really, I think one of the biggest things that we can do using this technology is have a look at satellites, see what they're not carrying, um, and really having that kind of transparency or a level of transparency doing that can really uh, de-escalate conflict in the world. So I think a lot of people are concerned about weapons in space. There are a bunch of treaties saying we shouldn't have weapons in space, but being able to go and see that and verify that, I think that's a, a whole big part of what we do. And I think that's, that's really exciting as well, because really it can help de-escalate conflict. So how many cameras or, or images do you have up in space right now? So we have 37 that we're working with today. Um, hopefully soon that number will be doubling. We're working with operators all the time to really help transform their systems with purely just with software so they can turn around at the right time and, and take these images. Wow. And it's been recently reported that you had a round of funding of $12 million. So just to get a sense of the overall scale of what you're building here in terms of, of a business, Will, can you sort of give us some metrics? What What's the overall investment that's gone into it? Um, is it turning around much revenue or even a profit at this point? What's the scale of the business at this stage? We've had a total of $15 million over two rounds invested. Um, in terms of Revenue, we're making uh, $4 million revenue per year at the moment, which wow. probably doesn't sound huge compared to what we've had invested, but it's it's massive for a startup. So you probably know most startups are not very profitable when they start, but I think it's really testament to the technology that we're building and, and I guess the need by the customers that they've just been started with this technology for a long time. Um, so when someone comes along that can start helping solve their problems, I think that's that's been really great for our customers. So we're, we're really grateful to them as well for adopting this technology. Yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty good though, like $4 million a year on a $16 million investment. Well, we're just getting started. Yeah, and you're yeah. just getting started. <laughs> I think, and I this, is, way to go. this is pretty long range kind of technology as well. So that's, that's sounding very impressive to me, Will. Um, Really interesting to hear where the company's up to. How many people are you employing so far? So we've just hired a few more people. We're up to 30 at the moment and we'll probably hold there for uh, the next 12 months and, and really start consolidating the work that we're doing. Amazing. Well, congratulations on where you're up to so far and thanks for joining us on the briefing. Really appreciate that. And again, great to be here. That was Dr. Will Crow, founder of HEO. It's just such an interesting story because anytime you hear about new technology like artificial intelligence taking our jobs, you've got to remember that there's these whole new fields and realms of work that we never could have imagined. Like I couldn't have imagined that you'd have, you know, initially 30, but potentially a lot more people working for a company like this monitoring objects in space. I mean, it makes you wonder how many of us will be employed in this kind of work in the future. Obviously, a lot more than we could imagine at this point in history. 
You look over the years where we've moved from hunter-gatherer to agrarian times to the industrial revolution, like our jobs and the way we're employed and the way we spend our time is just changing so much. So I think a startup like this gives a glimmer of hope of people that lose jobs now, the sort of really interesting things they could do in the future. Listener.